Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Thank you so much to Steadily Insurance for sponsoring this week's episode. There are a lot of things that keep us up at night as hosts. Those late night questions from your guests, scrolling Zillow for the next perfect investment, scouring Pinterest for design inspo. What shouldn't keep you up at night is worrying about what would happen to your hosting business if a fire, flood, or storm damaged your property, damages or theft occurred, or if a guest got injured and filed a lawsuit against you. That's where Steadily Insurance comes in. Steadily provides comprehensive landlord insurance to hosts doing short-term rental, mid-term, or even long-term rentals. So no matter how your business model might change, you are still covered. We all know that the coverage provided by the booking platforms we use isn't always the most reliable. So put your business in the hands of Steadily, who will have your back when you need it most. Click on the link in the show notes to request a free quote or head to hostwithnatalie.steadilypartner.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. Today's episode, the last episode of the year, closing out 2022, not going to lie, I'm nervous about this one. Uh, I decided for this episode, I wanted to do a deep dive, audit, breakdown, analysis, whatever you want to call it, of my listings that I manage. And I am nervous because my listings did not perform as well as I wanted them to this year. And I have made a career off of teaching people hosting strategies and tips to improve nightly rate and occupancy. And I'm not where I want to be. And so I am, I debated a lot whether or not I should do this episode, but I don't know. This I just finally settle on this is this is the content I would want to hear from someone else, knowing how I'm feeling and how I've been unhappy with the performance of my listings and think it could be better. I would want to hear that from others. And I'm I'm not gonna share this in a way where I'm like venting or complaining about it, but what I've learned, what I'm gonna be changing, so what I'm doing about everything that is not performing as well as I'd like. And also just to bring you some comfort, if you are in the same boat as me and your listings are not where you want them to be and you've been hard on yourself, know that you are not alone and that's that's okay. It's We're all feeling it right now and it doesn't have to be extreme enough to where you're considering selling or converting to a long-term rental or anything like that, but you know, there's, there's a frustration when you guys are going to hear how much worse my best performing properties did this year compared to last year. I'm still in the positive. I'm still in the green. We're still profitable. It's still a good investment in my book. I'm actually really happy with the cash on cash return, but yikes. When I see the decrease from last year, it stings. Um, but there's there's mistakes that I've made and things that I'm going to change moving forward because of the economic climate we're in. 
So let me quit stalling and let's get into it. Uh, hope you guys appreciate this more vulnerable episode and me sharing all the things that I have been unhappy with on the back end of my own business. So how I want to do this episode today is I'm managing nine listings, but I am not going to talk about all nine of them. And that is because with a few of the ones in the mix, I co-host those for other owners. And I know for a fact already, those owners are not willing to invest any money in upgrades or changes or new furniture or amenities. And because there's nothing that they are willing to work with me on to improve, I don't feel that it's worth talking about. Uh, I only want to talk about the ones where I've learned a valuable lesson from and what changes I'm going to make to improve performance next year. So if my hands are tied to a certain extent with a manager, with an owner that I'm managing for, I don't, I don't see what's worth talking about there. So maybe I'll touch on what I think could be improved, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those ones. I want to get into the ones that I have seen could have been better and what I think failed in not getting as much occupancy or a better nightly rate that I would have wanted and how I'm combating that for this year. So let's start with talking about two listings. We'll call these listings A and B. Listing A is one that my parents own that I manage for them. And listing B is the one that my husband and I own. These are my two best designed properties and the two that are the best performing. With listing B, the one that I own, this is its first full year on the market. We officially listed it for like December 31st last year, I think was our first guest checking in ever. We made it right before the end of the year because we were remodeling it for like nine months. So this is the first full year of that one. I have nothing to compare it to except listing A, which I've now been managing for three and a half or four years. So that one I have numbers for, and I knew that listing B was going to be designed to the same high quality standard as listing A. So I figured that that one would do really well. And I was actually pretty accurate in comparing them because those two are making just about the same amount of money. So I actually was right to assume they would do similarly, even though this is my first year and I don't technically have data on listing B. So let's go with listing A's numbers because (laughs) that's the one that I've been managing for a few years and have some consistent numbers on. So listing A in 2020, which was the first full year that we listed that one, did 47,000. In 2021, this listing did 85,000. So completely blew the numbers out of the water. If you know anything about hosting and you've been doing this for a few years, you've probably seen that year after year, your numbers continue to go up. You get more reviews, you get a better reputation, you get better at what you're doing, you get higher in search rankings, and just with general inflation and stuff, your prices can go up. And so going from 47,000 to 85,000 between one year, I expected that this year we could do 120,000 following that trend. So you can imagine I was pretty disappointed to see that we are ending this year with just over 50K. Looks like we're going to end the year with 52,000. So it's about a 40% decrease from last year. It's still higher than 2020, which was 47,000. Going from 85,000 on this listing last year stings. Listing B, the new one that this is its full year on the market, is doing just around the same, just over 50,000. So 
I was right in comparing the two, but I was very, very wrong in honestly thinking that they would each individually break over 100K. That sucks. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say. That sucks. I'm so disappointed. Based on the investment and the cost that we spent in purchasing the properties and remodeling them, I'm actually still very happy with over 50K for these. They're smaller properties. They're condos. We bought them for really cheap prices and put a lot of our own labor into fixing it up. And so we put a ton of equity into the home ourselves. And the mortgage is really low because we bought them so cheap and they were such fixer-uppers. So we're, we're still profitable. I just, gosh, it stings to be 40% off from where you were last year. The biggest mistake that I think I made with these two properties this year was I did not adjust for the fact that this economic climate has changed the lead time for bookings. So in different markets, this might be different. I, I am in Big Bear, California, a seasonal ski resort town in Southern California. Our busiest seasons are summer and winter, spring and fall we're usually booked consistently, but at much lower rates. So in past years in Big Bear, what I would see always is that bookings were pretty last minute. We would get a lot of bookings. There were there were so many times, I mean, 20 weekends of the year that we were not booked until Friday morning, but we always got weekends booked, always. Weekdays were similar. Maybe it'd be a little more of a lead time because for weekdays, people have to coordinate getting work off or we're traveling during the middle of the week, but we have a lot of really last minute bookings and that's never been an issue. The mistake that I think I made this year is travel seems to be down, maybe all over, maybe just in my market. But what I failed to realize was that when I wasn't getting a booking and it was two days out from the check-in date, I kept thinking it's fine. We're fine because we always get last minute bookings. So we're good. So I wouldn't lower my rates or anything like that. I held strong because I always thought a booking would come through. This is the first time in five years of hosting that I have not seen bookings come through as last minute. For me to get one, I realized I had to drop my prices significantly lower, not just by 20 bucks a night or something, but 50, 60, 70. Really had to slash my prices in order to pick up last minute bookings. I'm not sure why this is. I really don't know. I've seen a lot of hosts who said in their markets, they're actually getting more last minute bookings now. I actually feel like in hours, maybe because there is more of a recession happening and people are tighter with their wallet, for them to do a vacation, it's not just spur of the moment. They kind of are planning ahead, even if it's just by five days to a week. But that's that's just something different from what I'm used to seeing. We would very commonly get very last minute bookings. And now it seems like there is a little bit more planning ahead of time. We still do get last minute bookings. But like I said, I have to drop the prices significantly more. It almost seems like now people are only willing to travel last minute if it's a really, really good deal. Whereas before, it seemed like money wasn't as much of a concern and people would just spur of the moment. They were working from home. It wasn't a big deal. And they would just travel. So one adjustment that I started making in about the fall of this year, finally, it took me way too long to realize this, but finally in about September or so, what I started doing was typically my pricing strategy was to price much higher further out and slowly, slowly drop it as we get closer. I was always trying to fill as many nights as I could at higher rates and then would drop those, those remaining ones lower for last minute bookings. 
What I started doing in September for the rest of the year was lowering down to those rates that I pretty much thought I would end up at in the very end for last minute bookings and maybe a little bit higher, 20, 30 bucks a night higher. And that actually helped a lot. In fall, which is typically a lower season for us, we actually seem to pick up quite a bit of bookings. I think people were looking further ahead of time. And since I had started pricing lower from further out, we were a more attractive option. And so even though the nightly rates were lower than what I'm used to, we maintained that occupancy really well through fall, which is typically a slow season for us. My conclusion here is just my old strategy of maintaining higher prices and kind of holding out until the last minute being one of the last remaining options so people would pay our prices anyway because they wanted to come to Big Bear and we were one of the last places available. That strategy in today's economy just isn't working. It seems that people are not willing to just pay higher rates for a last minute booking. They're planning further ahead, watching their wallet more closely, and they're only willing to do a last minute trip if the deals are really good. I would love to one day go back to the way I was pricing it. I I obviously preferred getting higher nightly rates and I was always fine with last minute bookings. But who knows with where the economy is headed, it could be another year, another 18 months, another two years before I can return to something like that. So for right now, I've really had to rethink my strategy and I am pricing out much lower further ahead of time because I just want to maintain that occupancy. And so it's just making me a little nervous to rely on these last minute bookings. And so I am willing to go lower earlier in order to get booked. Please note though, that this whole everything I'm saying about dropping my prices ahead of time did not apply to the 10 or so days around Christmas to New Year's. I did not lower prices from December 22nd-ish through January 2nd. So that whole 10-day span, which we always book 100% occupancy, not a single night open in Big Bear, we book that no problem at the highest rates of the entire year. I did not touch that. So all of this applied to kind of before and after the new year, and I'm just a lot more comfortable sort of uh, stacking my calendar full, even though I know it's lower rates and it's it's bugging me because in the past I would love to hold out and get those higher prices, but I am rethinking my strategy right now. So that is something I'm planning for the new year. We started doing that in fall and it's worked really well through the slower season of fall. Uh, December, Christmas and New Year's booked no problem at, at the high rates. So if you're in a market where you do still have some really peak dates, don't start lowering those yet. I am confident you will still get those booked, but around the areas where it's just more more supply to go around for less demand, I would consider pricing yourself out lower from further out at this point. People just, from what I'm seeing, every market could be different, but at least from Big Bear, what I'm seeing, which again is a very seasonal tourist market, I think people are just planning trips out further ahead. If you're in a business market like Houston or something, it's probably worth worth thinking differently than I am. People for business might have to travel last minute and it and it really doesn't matter if their company's sending them somewhere. I think in more touristy destinations, people can pull back a little bit right now. If that's something they can't afford, they can pull back a little bit and not spend money on a vacation. So I think it's up to you to come in a little bit lower further out. So that as people are budgeting, planning, saving for vacations further out, you remain one of the more competitive options. So next, I want to talk about one of my more average properties. 
it's still a really nice home. It's very clean, all brand new appliances. The owners bought it last uh, August, maybe, and spent about four months renovating it. And we officially listed it last December. And, you know, they're they're not professional interior designers. Uh, I don't know if it has like that design eye to it, but it's it's a nice modern unit, all brand new furnishings, newly renovated. That unit, we would price it out pretty average. Uh, again, not not the best, not the worst. It was clean. It always gets five-star reviews. It's just one of those properties that like all the expectations are lined up very clearly up front and you know, the price is good for what you're getting. It's it's a great it's a great value in a great location. So that property, we launched it last December and Wow, that property is ending this year with $47,000, just five grand short of my top two designed, most beautiful aesthetic properties that always, always book. Only five grand short. I have other properties that are designed better than this one that didn't do as well. So why did this one get $47,000 at the end of the year? I can tell you, this one was the first time ever that we did a midterm rental strategy. If you want to learn more about midterm rentals, go back and listen to episode number 27 with Ziana McIntyre. She talked all about it and how this is pretty much exclusively her strategy at this point. And after our one experience with this, I can definitely see why midterms are becoming so popular and such a tempting option. With this one unit, I think because it was one of our more competitively priced sort of like average units and just clean all new fixtures. Basically what happened this year was there was a local apartment complex that flooded the entire first floor, some sort of pipe burst or something. And a leasing company reached out to us that they had to move several people in the apartments. We ended up taking a few. We took three in at first and two of them were horrible. After one week, we went and cleaned the units and two of them in just one week were nightmares. And we told the leasing company, no, they're gone. We're done. The third one was amazing. And they happened to be in this one unit. And so we kept them there. They ended up being there for about eight months. They were awesome guests, left it super clean. We still insisted on doing a monthly cleaning just to keep eyes on the property, They were awesome, and it was a great, consistent price coming through. A lot lower than what we can typically get for short-term rentals, but we had 100% occupancy for eight months. They ended up moving out in September. Yeah, it was the week right before Labor Day. So we ended up getting really good rates for Labor Day weekend. Then we went into a slower season for them with September and October and November, which is slower in Big Bear. And then it picked up again once the ski resorts opened. For Christmas and New Year's, this unit did awesome. And so it really, really helped having eight months of 100% occupancy. And again, they were great guests. So it's not like there was all this repairs or anything that had to be done after they left. We kept good eyes on the property, saved a ton on cleaning fees because we only had cleaners in there eight times total in eight months. Normally we have cleaners eight times a month. So you can do the math really quickly on how your cleaning fees add up. So even though they made 47,000, which is about five grand less than my top two performing properties, if I factor in supplies and cleaning fees, also the fact that they don't have to pay tourist taxes on anything longer than 28 days, if I factor all of that in, that unit actually, I believe was the most profitable one this year, which is crazy because it's just 
again, like it's, it's a nice unit. I totally don't mean to talk down on it. It's just, it's just a very average condo, you know? So it's crazy to me how well this one did considering that. And one thing that I'm looking at for next year is adopting a few more midterms. My top two performing properties, those two nicely designed ones I told you about, units A and B, I am still keeping those as short-term rentals. I think that if I adjust my pricing strategy, I will be able to make up for the dip that I saw this year. Uh, So I'm keeping those as short-term rentals. Those ones just perform really, really well on Airbnb. They've got all the scroll-stopping photos and out-of-the-park awesome reviews. But I do have another property that my parents own. This is actually the first one ever that I started listing. We'll call this one Unit C. This is the first property ever that I started managing and how I got my foot in the door with Airbnb. That one was a really, really good unit five years ago when I started hosting. And over time, it's just become a little bit more lackluster. It's not as trendy right now as new listings that are hitting the market. And it's been you know, the rates are definitely not as competitive as they used to be. And so for that one, actually, from that leasing office, we've maintained a really good relationship with the woman there who places tenants. We've maintained a great relationship. And I told her that we have another place available if she has anyone she needs to move. And luckily she did. So we had somebody move in last week. Uh, The downside was that they moved in right before Christmas. And so we couldn't get our amazing Christmas and New Year's rates. Uh, I still charge them a little bit more than what I'm going to start pricing month to month after the holiday ends, but we are taking a bit of a hit on the amazing nightly rates we can typically get for Christmas and New Year's, but I'm hoping it pays off because again, this unit is just more average. I think for it to become more competitive, it would need some more renovations, a bunch of new decor, and... I'm hoping that we can get a good six to eight months out of these tenants that move in, and that can make this unit that's become kind of average one of our top performing ones next year. So that is one strategy that I've changed is uh, I, I'm definitely more open to midterms than I ever thought I would be. <laughs> that Thank you, Ziana, for opening my eyes. Um, if any of you bought her book, 30 Day Stay, it's, it's a really big eye-opener, and I personally have just seen the benefits of midterm rentals. I still, at the end of the day, am passionate about STR. I want to be a short-term rental host. That is my favorite. That's my bread and butter. And I'm going to maintain that for my top performing properties, like I said. But I think the more average ones, I have no problem at this point converting those to a more midterm style stay. The next listing I want to talk about is one that I have been managing for another owner for three and a half years now, I think. And she has been one of my consistently best owners to work with. Um, She's a very hands-on owner, but not to the point where she (laughs) micromanages me in any way, which is like the ideal combination. Um, She takes great care of her property and is always investing to improve it. Uh, But she's pretty hands-off with the management, which I love. Anyway, with hers, she definitely noticed that bookings were slower this year and nightly rates were a lot lower. And since she bought the property, it was always primarily meant to be an investment property, but she also uses the place quite a bit herself. And it was her dream when she bought the place to renovate the kitchen eventually. Finally, this year, she ended up doing it. And I remember when the bookings and nightly rates were coming in slower and lower than anticipated. I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if she's not going to follow through with the kitchen remodel this year because there's just not as much money coming in. 
She was so dedicated to that goal of redoing the kitchen and the bathrooms too, she ended up redoing. And basically she just said, you know what, if bookings are slower, this is the perfect time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to knock out all those cabinets, block out the calendar for three months, get all my renovations done. And I'm so proud of how they took advantage of this slower time. And, you know, that's, this isn't an option for everybody. I think for a lot of people, if the money kind of dries up, that's when you don't want to invest any money. And I totally get that. But she had such a vision from the moment she bought the property that as soon as they kind of saved up enough from bookings, that's when they were going to reinvest it. And her property was doing so well that even with all the money coming in, she never really took that time to block the calendar because bookings just kept coming in. Finally, this was her excuse. All right, bookings are slower. I'm going to finally get my dream kitchen in that in that investment property. So they did it. They blocked off three months. And, um, you know, so the numbers are skewed from that one because it, they blocked off three months in summer, which is a peak season, even though it was slower. So the numbers are skewed from that one. But I'm just really proud of this example because this was such a good kind of case study on how it pays off to be clear on what your goals are. Yes, they bought this as an investment property, but deep down she wanted her dream kitchen in an investment property and they use this place quite a bit themselves. And so I'm really happy that she took advantage of this slower time to make some improvements. So that's another really good example of if you're also feeling the slowdown right now, again, I know that that might make it impossible to do renovations if you don't have money coming in to fund it. But I think for some of you, if you bought your property, putting some projects on the back burner and waiting until you made enough to do it, if you were pretty profitable the last couple years, maybe this is the time. So just think about that. What were your goals when you bought the property? Are you trying to put equity in the home in the long term? Or is it really just about cash flow from rentals? In her case, her investment goes both ways. She wants the cash flow from the rentals, but she also wants a beautiful home that she's consistently updating and upgrading and will be sitting on a really, really nice asset as she goes into retirement. So in her case, this was made me made me really proud that she just kind of didn't sit there moping about bookings being slower, but blocked things off and, and got her dream kitchen. Now, the last property I want to talk about, this one makes me so bummed to talk about because of all the properties I manage, this is one of the nicest designed ones, and people absolutely love this one. It gets such good reviews. However, this one did less than $20,000 for this entire year. The frustrating thing is that that less than $20,000 is purely because of certain decisions that the owner of that unit has made. And I want it to be very clear. I am totally not, I am not disparaging that owner in any way. Essentially what happened was he had a streak of bad guests last year, like three in a row that just, you know, left a bigger mess, damaged some things, didn't treat the property well, snuck in extra people. And it was like three in a row to where he got very, very nervous about the home and essentially turned off instant book put a huge list of rules before people can book and put a lot of hoops to jump through in order to book the property. And I totally get it. And this is why, you know, one thing I always, always preach about is you have to know what your goals are as a host. For him, protecting the home was the number one goal. So he's okay 
letting go some of that income in order to protect the home. So I totally do not mean to talk down on this owner. It's really up to different owners and their choices. This one just frustrates me because I sit there and I see the potential in it and I know how well it could do. And it just makes me so sad that it's not reaching its potential purely because of a streak of bad guests. If you guys haven't heard me say this before, I always preach that bad guests come in threes. I don't know what it is, but I swear every time we have a frustrating guest or just someone who breaks a rule or damages something, it always happens in threes. I don't know why. And so it just, oh, this one just crushes my soul because he had three bad guests back to back. And I think that's what just made him immediately like, nope, put all these rules, put all these hoops to jump through. Uh, Every single protocol and guest vetting thing that you can do. And it honestly just makes the place very difficult to book. And so it's barely renting. It rents once or twice a month, whereas it went from being you know, 85 to 90% occupied. One of the best performing units, really nicely designed. Guests love it. And they're just being deprived now because a few guests screwed that up, made the owner nervous, and now he's reluctant to rent as often. So this one is just a lesson in, you know, if you are that type of owner who protecting the home is number one, then then there you go. You know, you can you can totally do this. And that's That's another reason to do short-term rentals in my book is that you can buy your own second home and you can decide how much you want to rent it or not. So if that sounds good to you, then go for it. But for anybody, if you are a host who has experienced something similar and you had a streak of bad guests that made you put in a ton of protocols in place and things to where you're just not booking, I hope that this example is a lesson that you are literally leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table. His property is one of the nicest, and if he was still allowing instant book and not being as off-putting with all of the rules and things that are in place, I think that this one easily would have passed at least the $45,000 mark, if not $50,000 this year, and it did less than $20K. It just doesn't come off as a friendly listing, in my opinion. There's so many rules and so many clunky things in place that just don't make it a top choice for being rented. It always would rent out on like Labor Day weekend, Christmas, Memorial Day, all the big holidays where everything in Big Bear gets booked, then this one would get reserved. But if people have their choice, nobody really wanted to jump through the hoops of signing certain things before they could confirm their reservation, um, going through the whole rental agreement process, um, having instant book off really buried him in search rankings. And immediately upon booking, they're hit with a list of rules. And I just think that this listing isn't coming off as friendly and approachable as it used to. So this is just one. Again, I totally am not meaning to disparage this owner in any way. Like, if anything, I respect. Like, he had frustrations with with guests and took matters into his own hands and said, like, not only this is how I want my place to manage now, I want this, this, and this in place. And to an extent, like, good for you. You're the owner, so you get to call those shots. The reason I want to bring this one up, though, isn't to change his mind if he's listening or anything like that, but if any of you really do want more bookings and you're wondering why they may have slowed down, go through your process and see, is it not as friendly or easy to book as some other places in your area? If you're making guests go through multiple hoops, you know, if, if, if you're doing that on purpose and you're fine with it, then okay, keep at it. But if you are wanting to be booked more, know that decisions like this 
probably cost him a good $25,000 to $30,000 this year. So think through every single decision that you make on your listing because even the smallest tweak, something as simple as turning instant book off, makes your place harder to find, it gets buried in search rankings, it's less likely of an option for people to book, people like to book things instantly, they don't want to have a back and forth with the owner. So even something as simple like that, when right now we're all fighting for more bookings, Run through all of those scenarios. I'm not telling you what to do. It's your listing, but I just want to make sure that you're thinking about things business-mindedly. I will leave you guys with that. These are the biggest lessons I've learned from my listings, how much they underperformed, and (laughs) tweaks and, and advice that I have for next year, changes I'm implementing. I hope that you guys resonate with one of the listing scenarios I laid out here, whether you've got a really, really top tier designed property and you just have to adjust some pricing strategies now. If you have a more middle of the road average property, maybe adopting a midterm strategy for the next few months or the next year is a good option. Or maybe you still have a really awesome property, but you're just putting a lot of different hoops and stuff to jump through. Think through those things and how to make it easier to book. Or lastly, if you have a property that you've been wanting to make improvements to, maybe right now that it's a slower season, this is the time to do those improvements. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? It wouldn't be right to send you guys off into the new year without a classic Airbnb Hole case of a stupid review from a stupid guest. So here we go. We're ending it on one that's short and sweet, but I know we've all been there and pulled our hair out because of a guest like this. So this host in a Facebook group posted a screenshot from a review a guest left him. A two-star review that says, nice location for ski and snowboard. Driveway has pretty big gravel. We were definitely careful when parking. We both had a bad nightmare. I am not very spiritual, but there were some weird vibes. Overall, it was a good deal because it was $99 a night, but we probably won't stay here again, even if it is $99 a night. Really good location. Also, for context, this host did post that they have 50 other reviews that are all five stars. So I know from reading that review, it's almost like, well, they did kind of complain about the gravel and they said that they wouldn't really stay again for the 99 bucks a night. So Are there issues with the value or something else with the property? The fact that there's 50 five-star reviews makes me think that that property is just fine and it is this guest and their nightmare. Um, So yeah, we got to love that. A two-star review because your guest had a nightmare. Look, I haven't been to this property personally. I haven't vetted it myself. They didn't post a link to the whole listing for me to evaluate if there are other issues. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say... This guest is the Airbnb hole. And this host actually posted an update that they were able to get the review removed, which makes me think that even Airbnb agreed that leaving two stars because you had a nightmare is bullshit. You guys know it's not always easy to get reviews removed. So if Airbnb agreed with them, I think that goes to show that this guest truly was the Airbnb hole. You just gotta love it. Two stars because your guest had a nightmare. Happy New Year, everybody. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!